0: is out now with aaron and abe out now is a film podcast which has abe and i discussing new movies weekly and we also bring in a little discussion about the latest movie trailers box office results and predictions a retro review that has to do with the main film of the week games and other fun stuff i am aaron and as always this is abe hey guys uh this is a special episode of out now because we're not going to review twilight or happy feet Two, just because we decided you know not to Instead, to do something exactly the opposite of that, we're going to talk about a lot of the big, uh, or I guess a lot of the small uh, film releases of mainly revolving around this kind of part of the year, but maybe some earlier on in the year. It's a lot of the arthouse films, a lot of the limited release films, a lot of the independent films, and uh, joining us to discuss the the bevy of films that we have to discuss tonight, uh, we have WhySoBlue.com writer, editor, reviewer, and authentic Mexican, Gerard Uribe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) nice hey how's it going guys glad to be back yeah how
0: you doing um we have writer for awards contenders and recent halloween vampire mark johnson hey everybody we have a programmer for the newport beach film festival and writer for movie smackdown as well as things i know about the movies and eternal debater of the cause for nolan versus fincher adam gentry yo 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 and we have the writer for Fast Film Reviews and his own personal day man, fighter of the Nightman, Mark Hoban. Hey, everybody. Good to be here. That was a long intro. Okay. Um, all right. How, how is everybody doing? Respond all at once. Uh, Great. Right. Okay. <laughs> all right. Good. And uh, yeah. In unison. As I said, this is a special episode, as I'm calling the Art House Indie Showcase 2011 Spectacular. And um, a few announcements before we really get underway. iTunes Reviews. Always cool to get more, happy to have received some recently, uh, you know, quick log on to iTunes, a rating, or maybe a small sentence, always happy to have it. Also, bigger thing, Thanksgiving contest, that's right, Abe and I are doing another contest, and this one is really, really simple, I'm going to give some specifications to it first, or some, okay, so no one that's been on this podcast can be in this contest, sorry, Ooh, anyone that's been a guest wrong. on the podcast can't be on this contest
2: that's cold there. i'm sorry
0: um the other thing it will go into effect wednesday morning i guess just in case some people listen tuesday night and happen to be like oh i should enter that contest it will go into effect wednesday morning that's the oh yeah um so here's the contest on our facebook wall for our facebook page at out facebook.com slash out now podcast if you could put a picture of your favorite muppet and write down your or post your favorite indie movie of the year First three people that do that, I'm going to send them something. Just something great. I am not about great. I'm going to send them something. It's going to be great. It's something free, so it's probably going to be great. It's free yeah. right there. So favorite Muppets and write your favorite indie movie of this year. If you haven't seen an indie movie this year for whatever reason, uh, write you know, a movie from last year that you really liked a lot, a favorite indie movie from last year. So there. There's the contest. I said it pretty quickly, so I hope you all got it. Anyway, moving on. Okay. End of announcements. On to Know Everybody. Know Everybody, where we kind of set the tone for the podcast here, where we all ask each other some questions and try to get to know everybody. I'm going to start with, I'm going to let Abe start this one off.
3: Okay. Mark Johnson. With so many remakes these days and new twists on movies, would you rather see a spinoff movie of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man or the Michelin Man? And if they got into a fight, who would win?
0: What movie was the Michelin Man in,
3: Abe? He wasn't in the movie, but he, he looks like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, and I think that'd actually be a good fight.
2: Um, I'd rather see the spin off of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, but I'm gonna guess that the Michelin Man is gonna win the fight because doesn't he throw tires? And, and he does. Like,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. probably. So, yeah, from his body. <laughs> right. So that seems like a good weapon. I'll go. I'll go that. out.
0: Okay, Yeah. It probably just takes some some simple fire tricks to get rid of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah. Exactly. Way to stay on topic for the episode, Dave, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I'll go with uh, Mark Hobbins. Go with um, what character from an independent film do you feel you have the most in common with? Uh,
0: That's an example of a
2: good question, by the way. Well,
4: I don't know if I have the most in common, but uh, I think uh, Jason Schwartzman in Rushmore, I really kind of think he's really cool. I'd, I, I would, I'd go with him.
0: So, not the lead character for Submarine. I was going to
4: say something like <laughs> that. <laughs> no, uh... Oh, Max Fisher is his name. So, I'll go with that. Uh, you know, I'll go with, uh... Gerard. Uh, since we're doing independent films this week, what is your favorite independent film of this year?
1: Uh, let's see. So far this year... We're probably going to talk to him, talk about them today. Uh, I'd probably have to go with, uh... Probably a tie for him. If we're gonna go indie. Uh, Skin I live in and drive. But can drive be considered indie or art house, or is that just big budget indie art house?
4: I'd that. say that's the same. I'd, I'd include both.
1: Then I'll go with drive. What about the uh, the devil's double? That'll go number two. But my top number one drive. That'll be drive. Yeah. Cool. Adam, <laughs> uh, let's see. And I guess stay on topic. I don't. I didn't compose any of these like weird uh, questions, like Marshmallow oh, you Man. Have, you should have we're
3: done never. that. No, 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 they're
1: cool. I'm keeping it vanilla. Uh,
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who is your favorite indie art house director?
5: Uh, currently, or also? Currently,
1: of the currently. year. Let's see, since we're talking about
5: 2011.
1: <sighs> oh, gosh. <With> any <clears throat> output, I guess, in 2011. Uh, indie. Now,
5: if the director happens to be Pretty famous in their home country, but not so famous stateside. Does that still qualify them as being any filmmaker? Qualify that? Yeah, okay. sure. Um, in that case, I'd have to go with Mr. Pedro Almodovar. Um, I adore his films, and you know, every time I'm out of the box, he finds a way to surprise me and subvert my expectations and whatnot. There's some some other filmmakers, some of whom we'll be talking about on this podcast that. I would put in the discussion, but out the door I'd have to go with Pedro.
0: I gotta say, Adam, when you said you're, you know, thinking about directors from other countries, I thought you were gonna say Uwe Bull. That's where I thought your head was going.
5: But You know, <laughs> it, it, was, it was tough. It was tough, but I had to put my personal feelings aside and just <laughs> keep Yui, you know, in my pantry where he belongs. <laughs> Alright, so I'll, I'll go with, uh, with Abe. So Abe, in an epic battle of neuroses, of neurotic filmmakers, and you have Woody Allen versus Lars von Trier. Who wins and why? Lars von Trier.
3: Man, that guy. That's all I'm going to say. So
5: in <laughs> other words, you have no idea. You're just saying Lars <laughs>
3: <laughs> from, from the From what I saw of Melancholia, man, yeah, it's just, wow. Um, yeah, I'll go with Lars von Trier.
0: So directors whose movies you haven't finished. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do have second questions on spare, so somebody wants to ask me a question.
2: What about who's your uh, favorite character from a, uh, or how about favorite performance from an independent film of this year? Of this year, is fine.
5: Um, hmm. I bet I know what you'd pick, Aaron. I'm, I'm wait to see if I'm right.
0: I, <laughs> like, can you answer this question for me? Because I'm not sure. Then I'm trying. There's a lot of very good performances I've seen this year, but I really. Oh, wait, no, I know that exact answer. It's Michael Shannon in Take Shelter. I think he is pretty fantastic in that movie. There's a wealth of different kinds of things he has to do in that movie, and while not playing it way over the top. And I think Michael Shannon in Take Shelter is going to be my answer to that question. I think he's absolutely fantastic. And there are movies I like a lot more than Take Shelter, and there's people in other movies that I think were really fantastic. But in terms of just like pure acting, I think Michael Shannon is just absolutely fantastic in Take Shelter. I guess everyone else has been asked a question, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna pose one out to everybody okay anyone can answer this question impending doom is upon us. are you going to try and take shelter underground or are you going to strut around naked as the day is long <laughs>
5: oh, gotta go naked I mean, come on, what's really if if you're gonna die why'd you want to wear why'd you want to wear a shirt
1: They say why do you want to wear pants? <laughs> Hey, together we make a whole person. Right?
0: <laughs> That's actually I'm the a- correct answer. I'm, just say, <laughs> uh,
2: I'm actually doing this podcast naked from my base. So <laughs> <wonderful>. Boom!
0: <laughs> the winner right there. You're not alone, because Abe does that too, except he hangs upside down from a from a bar.
5: So. You know, if, if you're if you're on the East Coast, you're probably wearing socks. I mean I just gotta say. <laughs> All right, well, I think we've reached
0: the end of Know Everybody here, where we all certainly know everybody and maybe too much about some people more than we wanted to before we started. That was a complicated sentence. Okay, let's uh, move on to a trailer talk, where we talk about some of the newest movie trailers of the week, and uh, let's just get right into it. We had two trailers this week that were very similar in subject matter because they both deal with Snow White. And the first one is Snow White and The Huntsman, which looks to be kind of the... The dark and gritty Snow White that everyone's been waiting for. <laughs> um, it stars uh, Kristen Stewart as Snow White, battle-clad version of her, and uh, Charlie Theron as the the evil queen. And you also have Thor himself, Chris Hemsworth, as the huntsman. Who's well, he's basically ordered to take Snow White's Snow White into the woods and be killed, but then winds up becoming her protector and uh, kind of her, you know, mentor in the quest to vanquish evil. So. That's the first Snow White movie. Let's talk about it. Here we go.
5: Adam. <laughs> oh, you, you know what? i, I got to say, I mean, I'm totally... I'm kind of down with this new trend towards taking you know, beloved fairy tales and sort of reimagining them. I mean, I thought Alice in Wonderland had the right idea, even if it kind of peters out in the last act and whatnot. There's some really great, really great ideas there. And I like the idea of reimagining Snow White, but the idea of having her as an action hero, I just don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know why. I will probably go see this film, but when I see Snow White, I think damsel in distress, you know, I think sensitive, you know, dark haired beauty, I don't think, Oh, I'm gonna go ride horses and, you know, sword fight and fight Charlie Theron. I just I just don't think that. Nevertheless, will I be in theaters to see it? Probably.
2: Yeah, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned Alice in Wonderland because it's, it's by the same producers.
0: So. No way months.
5: Yeah, I'm down. i hopefully they'll keep doing fairy tales and kind of reimagining them. I just I'm not sure exactly why they chose this this way to do it.
0: come this June, you'll you'll
1: find out, I guess. Uh, Gerard, Charlie on still hot. So, you know, that's that's good thing. It's got that going for it. Uh, yeah, like they mentioned, uh, it's gonna be a sword and uh, I don't know, sword and kickassery type of film, you know, on the battlefield. Uh, you know, um, most likely there'll be another uh, rally speech in there too.
0: Um, from Kirsten, from Kirsten Stewart, hopefully, you
1: know, either her or eating her hair. You know, maybe, maybe Thor, the Huntsman. You know, hey, that'd be more appropriate.
0: <laughs> you know, and um, although if Kirsten Stewart gave the battle speech, it'd be maybe the best one since Keira Knightley in Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. So. Yes.
1: Uh, uh, and I just died a little inside. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'll see it. Don't know if I'm going to go out to the theater and see it, but I will see it at some point. I didn't care for Alice in Wonderland, though. I watched it and felt empty inside when I finished it. So. No, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I didn't. Yeah, exactly. Alice
5: in Wonderland either. Yeah. You, you guys didn't dig uh, The Mad Hatter Mr., Mr. Johnny Depp?
4: Nope. Oh, no. no. I thought he was totally miscast. By the time he
0: got to his dance at the end, I was.
5: No, I I, I'm not defending the last act, but I I thought the first two thirds were. I could say that I recall there being a
0: surprising amount of pathos to the bad hatter character that I wasn't expecting, but that didn't necessarily make it a good thing.
5: (laughs) Uh,
4: I was just gonna weigh in on Snow White and the Huntsman. I think uh, that uh, it looks pretty good, and I do like the way Charlize Theron is um, acting in the trailer. I think she has the right sort of sense of seriousness. It, It perhaps takes itself a little bit too seriously but uh, it it looks like a quality job so based on the trailer I think that it could possibly be a pretty good film.
3: It, yeah and actually I've got some uh, good hopes for this movie. Uh, it looks darker than the other one that we're going to talk about soon and I think that the, the best thing about it is it looks like some really awesome visual effects that they're going to use. I mean they've got that awesome T-1000 look for the mirror and uh, some pretty cool stylized graphics for some birds. So, um, yeah, I've got some <laughs> some potential for it.
5: What, what Snow guys... White.
3: It's the birds. It's the birds, ladies and
5: gentlemen.
0: <laughs> I guess I'll go into my thoughts a little bit, too. Um, basically, from watching this trailer, I just didn't realize that Ridley Scott changed his name to Rupert Sanders and made this movie in some period of time because it looks like Ridley Scott Snow White and the Huntsman. So, I guess that could be a positive thing, and I'll find <laughs> out in June when I go and see this movie. But I... I was interested, certainly more interested than the next the next Snow White movie we're going to talk about. But uh, and you know, Chris Hemsworth has a nice smile, of course, so <laughs> as we all know. This. And you know
5: what? He was he was. I thought he was really strong in Thor. So you know, for all we know, he, he's going to be really you know bring a, a lot of depth to this movie. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Well, we'll find out on uh, June first, two thousand and twelve, when Snow White and the Huntsman come to the theaters. But uh, the next uh, Snow White film that I've been referencing is Mirror Mirror. A new film from Tarsim Singh, who recently directed The Immortals, which you talked about last week on the show. And um, he's back with a much light-hearted version of Snow White. That uh, it, it, Well, it has kind of a very similar plot. Basically, the, well, it has the, the plot of Snow White, kind of. It has an evil queen, <laughs> played by Julia Roberts, who steals control of the kingdom and exiles a princess, Snow White, who is played by Lily Collins in this version. And with the help of seven resourceful rebels, she Snow White helps to bring back her birthright. And uh, yeah, the film has Julia Roberts, as I said, as the Evil Queen. It also has Army Hammer as Prince Andrew Alcott, that 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 Prince character that everyone knows about from the old Snow White tale. Am I right? Right. We all there's a prince right in the Snow White tale.
4: What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Well, isn't that kind of what? What's his face uh, is playing in the? Um, Chris Chris Hemsworth is playing in the. I guess he's the
0: great. other.
2: He's ordered to kill Snow White, but instead protect her. Army Hammer is more the Prince Charming that I guess in the story kisses Snow White to wake her up after the after she eats the apple. Uh, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it. It, it looks lame.
5: Yeah.
4: Yeah. It, it looks awful.
2: It looks more where Huntsman focuses more on the special effects side. It looks like Mirror Mirror has more of a costume design angle. Everything's colorful and it looks kind of like a Bollywood Snow White. Yeah. So least, <laughs> I, think there's, I think the release says enough for it. I think they put it in mid March.
3: Hmm.
2: that's usually not a good
0: it's in sign. the it's in the sucker punch slot it looks like
2: or the
0: battle yeah. the battle la slot actually <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah I, I hate to cr-
4: criticize the film because i think my man tarsem singh really like his aesthetic is really good but as far as the the movie it, itself i mean it's julia roberts is playing herself and it's totally doesn't take itself seriously at all and, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing if it if it was written well. But I, I can tell from the way that the people are acting, it it looks really bad. I think it's going to crash and burn. It
0: looks like it's taking all the best elements from, like, the Princess Bride and, like, Stardust and even, even like, Ella Enchanted and kind of oh, yeah. putting
4: them into a weird blender and
0: coming out with something that just doesn't look very digestible.
5: And let's face it, I mean, after the, the beautiful, you know, tender-hearted, you know, complex film that was Immortals. We just have so much hope. <laughs> <laughs> At least it, it looked good. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it will have, yeah, I'm oh, sure the visuals will be very kind, kind of. <laughs> kind of. It kind of looked
1: good. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt right now, just because, like, it's Tarsome. You know, in my book, Tarsome Can Do No Wrong, even if most of the scripts usually suck in his films, you know, The Cell and um, Immortals, you know, he didn't write that, but, but it's still his same, you know, core group of designers that he's working with. You know, transferred over to this. So, yeah, it's going to be an aesthetically pleasing film, whether you know the story sucks or not. Maybe he didn't have uh, approval over this trailer that they cut. You know, maybe it was the studio who you know got their own people and chopped something up. I
2: predict.
4: I predict now. I'll go on record that Julia Roberts is going to get nominated for a Raspberry for worst performance. (laughs) I mean, her, her, the way she's acting in that film, it's it's awful. I mean, it's really bad. And then Nathan Lane too he's just I mean I can tell the tone is just all wrong do
0: you expect much complexity from an Ethan Lane character though
4: no I mean but in the birdcage he's hilarious but in this this is no (laughs) this is really
0: bad (laughs) no this movie does have one of the seven dwarfs or rebels I guess Um, at one point what I believe he knocks several several fist punches to some guy's face and then says say hello to my little friend (laughs) I think that happens they also you well, to as Ewoks. I just <laughs> wish
5: Tarson would, would would direct a film written by Aaron Sorkin or somebody, and we see if he can do it.
4: I oh, mean, that's a that's a good idea. I like that idea. Let's, oh, come on. The perfect see if he marriage can. of style and substance. I like. Mark, that. Mark,
5: we're let's let's write up. Yeah. Aaron, type dictate our letter. Let's go. I'm, I'm, I'm writing all of this down. <laughs> this is, <I> got, <laughs> starts, I Mark's Mr.
0: predictions in. I got, Dear
5: Mr. Rudin, it has come to our attention.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll see on Mirror Mirror on March 16th, 2012, and I'm sure we'll have a, a very special episode come June 2nd where we can talk about the Snow White movies that have come out this year and <laughs> thoughts on them. Yeah, <laughs> so moving on, let's uh, let's move on to our our, our bulk of it. Oh, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Gotta I almost, be the box I almost office. forgot so yeah, the box office. We've got Abe's private part of the show. We're moving up this week just to get it out of the way here. And um, last week on the show... Uh, we tried to make some predictions for what Twilight, Breaking Dawn, Part 1, the breakening is would do. And um, uh, Gerard, do <laughs> you recall what you predicted last week?
1: Yeah, I was way off. I said 165. Abe? So I was like... Abe, Abe wait, hold on. Abe, what did you predict? Uh, I said
3: first with 140. And
0: I said first of 130. Uh, Abe, you are almost right, but not quite. I, It's it's about .5 below your prediction, at 139.5. Which uh, technically makes me the winner because I'm amazing, but um, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see with the actuals. Although they tend to go down opposed to up, so mm. there's a chance that you could win. But yes, one hundred thirty nine and five hundred thousand. That's a that's a lot of money. Uh, that's yeah, it, very very <laughs> much on track with the other with one of those other Twi- twilight movies. But yeah, uh, go go Abe. <laughs> thanks i got a vote of confidence <laughs> uh happy feet 2 the sequel to the penguin movie that nobody wanted to see came in second place with uh 26 million <laughs> the uh remember remember how the first happy feet won an oscar for best animated feature no you don't really remember that do you <laughs> but it, it did that did happen and now there's right. a sequel and it made it did okay i guess not really it did pretty terrible actually i guess for that kind of movie but uh that's what happens when sparkly vampires are your competition. Speaking of sparkling vampires, immortals came in at third place as well with twelve point two. And then there's then there's just a bunch of other stuff that we don't really need to go over. So yeah, that's the box office for this week. Abe, you might have won, probably not though. So oh, sorry. I hang my head in shame, as always. But now, uh, we're going to move on to our movie reviews of many, many films, and I'm just going to kind of lay it out right now. There's a lot of indie, art house, limited release films in theaters and on demand and somewhat available, and the idea is that we're going to kind of cover a lot of those. And let's start off with uh, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Marlene.
6: Hello?
2: Hi. Martha?
6: Yeah? Where are you? Um, I'm not sure. I'm upstate, I think.
3: Find out where you are and I will
6: come get you. I can't wait that long. What's going on? She's here now. She seems okay. What'd she say? She had some boyfriend. They were living in the Catskills. Is this Martha? Martha, you look like a Marcy May. You've got a really nice place here. It's as much yours as it is mine.
0: Starring Elizabeth Elizabeth Olsen, one of the Olsen sisters, but not one of the twins, and apparently the most talented Olsen of them all. And she stars as Martha, also known as Marcy May, and also known as Marlene. And uh, she has just escaped a cult in the mountains, in the the Catskill Mountains, and is, well, she's trying to... uh, She's basically kind of living with her sister after the after escaping this cult. And the movie kind of goes between her experiences in the cult, which was headed up by the enigmatic leader played by John Hawks and kind of her time dealing with adjusting back to normalcy of sorts. And maybe even some post-traumatic stress kind of factors in there. And so, yeah, the movie kind of bounces back and forth between timelines and deals with Martha's, her state of mind essentially. And, uh, I know not all of us have seen this, so let's just get a quick roll call once again of who has seen this movie. I know I have. Mark Johnson Mark, has. Mark Hoban has, right? Yes, I've seen it. Adam Gentry it. I have not. Adam Gentry hangs his head with Abe and Jane. Oh, no, he hasn't. Okay, I forgot. Okay, <laughs> so I'm going to I'm gonna let Mark Johnson start off this one. What did you think of Martha, Marcy May Marlene?
2: I um, mean, you know, I liked it a lot. It took me, uh, and I don't want to give away any spoilers, but at the end, I was kind of left, a little bit disappointed at first and had to let it sink in a little bit. Um, but but after thinking about it for a while, I, I liked it more and more. Um, I thought it was well-directed. I thought there were some kind of neat ways that uh, Durkin would go from showing her time with the cult versus at home. He would use um, certain takes with her stirring a spoon in a glass while at home and it cuts to the cabin where she's doing the same thing. Uh, it was kind of neat how he would intersect with similar things that she'd be doing. I thought that was kind of neat concept, but, uh, overall really good, well acted, uh, was the I think somebody we're going to see a lot of after this. Marco. Uh,
4: yeah, overall I liked it. Um, I thought that what really saved the film for me and really made it, uh, exceptional were two of the main performances and that was in uh, Elizabeth Olsen as Martha and uh, John Hawkes as Patrick who's kind of like the cult leader um, I thought that uh, uh, Elizabeth Olsen was like the perfect manifestation of like slowly building paranoia paranoia and I thought she really um, embodied that girl perfectly um, the the only thing that I didn't really care for the film is I think that it, it's, it's admirable when a filmmaker challenge us, challenges us to come to our own conclusions um, and for us to piece together clues and stuff. But I think I felt a little bit like the viewer was almost burdened with completing the Chronicle on our own because the outline of the story was so sketchy. So I thought that the screenwriter probably didn't do as much of an obligation that he should have. And I understand that, you know, they're, 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 they're making the viewer kind of come to their own conclusions and we're having to think and all that. But I, I think that the there was a little bit, the outline of the story was a little bit sketchy. And I think, um, you know, without getting into how the whole movie plays out, it, it's it's sort of an unsatisfying experience at the end. But the performances were so extraordinary that I overall, I give it a positive review.
0: Now, I agree with your thoughts on the performances, but I also... Think the whole. I I really enjoyed the whole movie. I, I really loved this movie quite a bit, and I attribute that to Mark Johnson. You mentioned the transitions between scenes. If there was an award for best transitions in a movie all year, I'd kind of give it to Martha Marcy May Marlene. I really liked how it was, yeah. how the editing kind of worked out. How it how everything how it moved back and forth between two different timelines, but also how it was very dreamlike in a sense. There's a lot of there's a lot of times where there's some ambiguity to whether or not you're actually seeing things that maybe took place or maybe Martha's just imagining in her mind and the movie doesn't necessarily make it quite clear. It doesn't make it unclear. There it just kind of leaves you to piece together this, these kind of thoughts. And yeah. I know that there's a lot of elements that aren't necessarily gone into with more depth per se, like maybe the beliefs of the cult and things like that. But I, I was happy with uh, how it kind of laid everything out, how you're supposed how it lets you, kind of piece together a lot of what's occurred on on its own and right. how the, how it all played out in the whole and the other thing is I was very tense during this movie and I think in, a, in an effective way to the movies to, to complement the movie in that fact I, I really got behind Mar Martha's um, her paranoia I was kind of right there. With her in that sense, I, I really there's a lot of scenes where it's not even that much is happening. There's not it's very it's a very quiet film and it's very, it's it's paced very deliberately. But with that said, I was really into the emotions you were kind of supposed to in, appreciate from the from the film.
2: Yeah, it, it's um, definitely a study in paranoia, and I think the whole point of the the ending is, and I, without giving away anything in the ending, it, it, I think it's a movie that you're supposed to experience through the eyes of the main character. So I think we're supposed to feel what she's feeling. As far Did as as far as a sense of confusion of what's real, what's not real, what's a dream, what's a memory.
4: One of the things about the ending with I mean again, I won't say anything, but I <laughs> felt like the projectionist forgot to load a real film. I mean that's that's how I felt about it. I'm like, okay, what?
2: Yeah. So yeah. Like I said, at first I was a little bit unsettled or unhappy with the ending, but the more I thought about it, the more I kind of...
4: And, and maybe you guys can answer this for me. Why did those cult members stay in the cult? I, I mean, I didn't feel like that question was ever satisfactorily answered for me.
0: I think it, I just don't think it matters too much. It's about Martha.
2: I, I, I don't...
4: I, or why did Martha stay in the cult for yeah, as long never, as she did? Never,
2: yeah, we never find out why she even the, got...
4: The women were treated horribly... I mean, they they couldn't. They had to wait for everyone else to eat before they could eat. They were, and there was many scenes in that film where I thought, okay, that's it. That someone's going to get up and say, I'm done with this. And yet they stayed. And you know, h- him playing a guitar is not enough for me to stay in that cult. It's <laughs> the power of a cult, Mark. Yeah, but,
2: <laughs> remember all the, the Davidian cult and what happened in Waco. Right, right.
4: and. and as for why do people stay in cults? That's yep. that's a question I can kind of understand because there there are they provide a need and things like that. But I don't think this film really delved into truly why Martha needed this cult. I mean, there, we don't go too much into her relationship with her sister, and it, it's not really clear. You know, what, we know there's some I kind of. I, of a, I
0: kind of disagree with that though. I think there's I a, think there's, there's a
4: little bit of a strained I, relationship there, but. There's not enough for us to explain why she would leave home and, and join a cult. I agree. I agree
0: be- that doesn't pres- it doesn't like clearly lay out like a whole a whole history of what of of her relationship with her sister and her family. But I think there's a lot in Elizabeth Olsen's performance that kind of suggests possibilities as to why she would be the way she is beforehand and how she how she would pro- how she would properly respond to being within this cult for the length of time that she is before finally kind of having her- a. <laughs> Having it be too much of it. I mean, for me personally, yeah, I felt I felt like I I had a, a lot of, a lot of that kind. Of, I, I filled a lot of that in in my own mind of how, she how she oh, would come oh. to, and I mm, I think um, no, I got I can't. I'm, I'm trying to, <laughs> try to... <laughs> wait. Well,
5: how, you don't how, know how to How is Aaron gonna bring this sentence to a close? It's not gonna happen. No, i
0: think No, there's no sentence. I was trying to add another point, but I don't I don't.
4: But I think it's a tribute to Elizabeth Olsen's performance for all the little like all the nitpicking that I'm making about the film. She is extraordinary in this film. And I'm really interested to see like what Elizabeth Olsen does next, because I thought I I don't know if it's just that was the perfect synergy of a part and an actress or if she's really that good. But I'm very interested to see if the next, you know, if she continues to act in this, you know, um, extraordinary. I mean, she was really natural. And I mean, it was almost as if she really was had been in a cult and, and she had you know, been picked out of it and then said, you know, let's play yourself. And she's extraordinary. And John Hawks also, um, who I find to be quite a, an interesting actor, um, was, even though I didn't quite understand why everybody was so drawn to him, I thought his performance was, was pretty uh, mesmerizing. He had a pretty sweet goatee. <laughs> yeah, and he played a mean guitar, he played right? A mean, he played a mean ditty. But,
5: uh... And he was fantastic in... Uh... In Winter's Bone, another right. film that could have easily fit on our podcast today if it had come out a year later, but that's, you know, he's, he's quite an actor. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a great brother to Kenny Powers, too.
3: <laughs> that's my two cents. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um,
0: uh, quickly, uh, any any movies that you thought of while I'm thinking of
4: uh,
2: Martha, Marcy, May Marlene? Hey, Shelter <laughs> is almost like the same premise.
4: Oh, um, I can't think of the name now, but Vera Farmiga uh, uh, was... Higher, movie? Oh, Fair. Higher Ground. Higher Ground, yeah. It's a it's a different kind of a, of a story, but I thought uh, I thought of Higher Ground when I was watching this. Yeah,
2: yeah the whole
0: religion. I, have, I haven't seen Higher Ground yet. I will soon, actually, but not as good. Did anyone else see Higher Ground? Adam, did you see Higher Ground?
5: I, I haven't yet. I love Farmiga, and I'm looking forward to it, but I haven't seen it
0: yet. Um, the movie I can add to that is Red State, actually. It has a... Kevin Smith's Red State, which also which doesn't necessarily involve a cult, but involves basically hardcore Christian fundamentalists living on their own property out in the middle of nowhere. And that movie, while very different, has a lot of has the intense depiction of kind of, you know, people living under some a leadership that you wouldn't necessarily <laughs> you certainly don't want to be involved in right off the bat. And that that came to mind. Let's move on to another film. Let's move on to Take Shelter.
6: You got a good life, Curtis. I think that's the best compliment you can give a man. Take a look at his life and say, that's good. I love you. There's no way. Bye. What's the matter, you, Curtis? It sounds like thunder. What sounds like thunder? I've been having these dreams. They always start with the kind of storm.
2: Missed you at church this morning, Curtis. Thinking about cleaning up that storm shelter out back. The hell have you
1: been? I know. I'm sorry. I had to run in here. I'm
6: gonna build out the tornado shelter in my backyard. I could use some help. The hell you wanna do that for? This needs to be done. The uh movie
0: starring Michael Shannon as a regular Joe living in, where does he live, Ohio? Yeah, Ohio. Michael Shannon as a regular guy living in Ohio, and things bad start to happen to him as he starts to have horrific nightmares that have kind of indicate an impending doom, and he goes a little, he goes a little, he gets a little uh, crazy-ish, and uh, he goes to the, t- he, he has a tornado shelter in his back, and he decides to kind of expanded out like very very much so and his wife played by uh jessica chastain and his daughter who is who is deaf they uh they become involved in his well his his mental state as it was as uh michael shannon attempts to contend with the 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 big problem he has of trying to keep living on in his life while experiencing these horrifically painful nightmares so once again let's start with our mark hoban this time mark what'd you think
4: Okay, well, uh, so of all the films that uh, we're discussing this week, I think this was probably my favorite. I thought that uh, Michael Shannon and uh, Jessica Chastain were, again, uh, very um, powerful uh, figures in the, in the narrative. Um, I think uh, it was kind of interesting because it, it's this psychological sort of character study, and it can be taken sort of a, as an allegory about uncertainty and troubled times, or it could just be about supporting loved ones in the face of mounting difficulties. And uh, I thought that the two leads really conveyed those, you know, various uh, points of view. And um, I think, you know, they, they engender our sympathy. You know, we actually, we care about these people, which I often find is to be a pretty important thing in a film. Um, if, you, if you don't care about the main figures, then you, you start to sort of lose interest. And in this case, I really did uh, care about them. Um, I don't think it's a particularly well-plotted movie. I think it mainly the, the the movie moves forward through dialogue than actual events. But as an emotional journey, I thought it was it was very moving.
2: To me, this was very similar to Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, where you have you know the outstanding performances with a film that you're not sure what's real and what's real, and it's hard to talk about without discussing the ending. But as with both films, I think the ending is going to leave a lot of people um, unsatisfied again with the way things turn out. Um, but I, but it's, like I said, very well acted. I think Michael Shannon gives one of the best performances I've seen this year in it. Um, so I liked, I liked it a lot. The ending made me a little bit upset, though.
0: I'll say right now that in regards to both these movies, Take Shelter and Martha Marcy May Marlene, I like the ending a lot in, uh, in, in both of them. But um, in regards to the movie of Take Shelter, basically everything Mark Toben you had to say, I completely agree with, um, and I like it. Just I think I liked it just a bit more than you in the actual like rating or whatever. Just because I really like the performance in this. It- Performances in this movie, I think Michael Chan's absolutely fantastic, and I think Jessica Chastain has an, a very difficult role as well, as being the the wife who's conflicted about supporting her husband who's going through like a really difficult time, while also thinking of her family as a whole and her own state of being. But uh, this is a this is kind of a, this is kind of a weird movie, uh, I, mean, I can I can I can it's certainly not it's certainly not one that's probably going to catch on in terms of you know more people are going to start really buzzing about this movie since especially since it already came out and hasn't really. Didn't really, um, you know, spark up in the box office beyond whatever it was expected to make. But uh, it's 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 uh, it's pace very it's very slow. That was that was an issue I had with it because um, movies tend to not be slow for me as long as I find something interesting about what's happening on screen, even if it's paced at a very languid sort of sort of pace. But uh, yeah, as Mark you said, it's not very it's not there's not a lot of plot here. There's a lot of, it's it has a, a a couple of ideas and it kind of runs with those and it's very dialogue driven but with that said i really once again i found myself especially towards the beginning where most of like the dreams kind of happen for michael shannon there's some really intense stuff that kind of goes on can,
4: can i comment on that yeah, go. i i think the dreams are you know they're most of the movie is very austere there's not a lot of like you know flourishes visually but then when these um uh visions that he has which we're not even sure if they're real or what, Mm -hmm. but they're not overly done, but they're very sort of darkly ominous and, and, and sort of believable. I I thought they were very effective and I thought, um, when they happened, they were very effective. I affect, you know, they're not very, um, extravagant, but I, I just, I don't know. I thought they were really well done.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, once again, agree with you right there. And, uh, yeah, I really, I really like the uh, the the performances in this movie. That's what I took away the most from it. I can say that. Um, let's see, writer director Jeff Nichols. I'm looking forward to see what what he can do. You know, next. I know the Take Shelter was you know got got fairly high regard despite it not being you know. It's a limited release film, and you know, just in you know a whole mess of audiences didn't go and you know rush out to see it. But I I'm I am interested to see where where Jeff Nichols goes from here with future projects, and certainly if he can bring some of the same kind of intensity to. Not necessarily a giant blockbuster film, but even just a you know a bigger budgeted film or something that that also has an intriguing premise. I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to offer. I think while it's not overly plotted, I think he the, the there's some key sequences in take shelter that really that play really well. there's a there's a big scene where Michael Shannon has a kind of a a breakdown of sorts where he gets the most emotional that he's been and the, there's a couple of those actually at the end, but there's one in particular where it just really everything comes together pretty interestingly, so.
4: Yeah, One thing I will add, I think that Jessica Chastain, we already mentioned how great Michael Shannon was, but I thought that Jessica Chastain, she sort of conveys kind of the anxiety that the audience is feeling because she doesn't really quite understand exactly what's going on with her husband and and she slowly becomes aware as the picture develops. And that's kind of how I think the audience is. And it helps to have that character because the audience kind of identifies with her. Like, what's going on? I, I just thought she was such a... A force of, of good. I mean, she's like warmth and compassion personified because I don't know how many people would be willing to, you know, deal with this kind of a situation that Michael Shannon is going through. I mean, his behavior is pretty erratic. And I think a lot of people would just say, I'm out of here. This is, you know, too much, but she doesn't. I, I kind of like that about her character.
0: And let's just take a brief second to acknowledge that Jessica Chastain has come from like basically nowhere to star like eight films this year. And she's she's quite good, I have to say. She's almost the Jude Law of uh, of two thousand eleven. That's yeah, that's a very appropriate statement. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Let's see anything else about Take Shelter? Any movies you thought of in regards to Take Shelter?
4: Mercy May.
2: <laughs> yeah. See. Mercy May. Um, you know what I thought of though is uh, does anyone else think Michael Shannon reminds them of Christopher Walken?
0: I yeah I get that yeah, actually a little bit yeah that's fair that's a good concern like a, he's a, got a look of a young walk in but also kind of in his mannerisms yeah
4: does yeah
2: he seems to act more through his eyes maybe like I just had
4: a brilliant thought I think they should remake the Dead Zone and cast Michael Shannon
2: actually that
0: that's not a if they were to remake the Dead Zone I would probably go to Michael Shannon first that's that's that'd be the first thing can. all right well let's um, let's move on to something that more of us have seen or at least some people that haven't talked yet as well haven't seen let's move on to the skin I live in. Norma Norma Okay, so the skin I live in, and I'm going to tread lightly because I'm trying to avoid spoilers for all of these, but there's some things I might want to not talk about as well, so I'll just kind of read the brief IMDB description of the skin I live in to not give away key things, but the skin I live in is the new film from Pedro Amadovar starring Antonio Banderas as a brilliant plastic surgeon haunted by past tragedies, and he creates a type of synthetic skin that withstands any type of damage. And the person he utilizes the skin on for testing is a mysterious woman who he kind of holds within his giant villa in Spain, and uh, we don't we t- we uh, eventually learn more about who this woman named Vera Vera is. So I'm gonna start with Gerard. Gerard, what did you think of the skin I live in?
1: Thought it was great, great film. It's on my top, probably my top three of the year. I guess when I went in to see it, you know, I finished the the showing, and I must have mass text like, I don't know, 20, 25 people all at once, like, OMG, I just got, you know, screwed in the head. I mean, it was just, I couldn't stop thinking about it for like days afterward. You know, I came and told my mom about it, you know, in Spanish. I'm like, check this out. And I kind of played it. You know, I know she's not going to see the film, so I just told her. And even she was like, oh, wow, that sounds, you know, twisted. And, you know, sure enough, I mean, it lingered. For a couple of days afterward like the whole experience of the film and i'll be honest this was actually the first multivar film that i've ever seen even though i know him by reputation and i know of all his past stuff you know timey up timey down you know etc and it was just it was great it was great
5: adam wow um like, like Gerard was saying, when the, when the film ended, I just was sort of sitting there in my seat, just kind of stunned a little bit. And one of the things that I really kind of likened it to, it's very Dickensian. And then there's a lot, there are a lot of different elements in the film that you don't particularly know where they're going. and You're not exactly sure how they're connected. And as the film progresses, things kind of tie together and you start to see the connections. Um, I was sitting there as, as the film was progressing, and we're trying to learn who is Vera, you know, why is she kind of being held captive? What's going on? What's her relationship to the Banderas character? And I was sitting there, and I had this idea that I might know where the film was going. And I sat there and I thought, please no, don't let this be where it's going. And then it kept going and all of a sudden it was like oh my gosh that's where we're going I oh my gosh and I, I just it was extremely unsettling but it it's it's great because it, it's been coined as or referred to as Almodovar doing horror and that's really a fair fair statement but it's not you know it's, he, he doesn't do it like anybody else would do it he's not out to put a lot of gross-out moments or a lot of kind of stupid you know, shock teenager walking down the hallway at midnight in a cabin in the desert sort of thing you know it's very kind of quiet and mannered and, and understated but but when it hits oh my gosh it hits home so I had a very strong reaction to the film and um, kind of like like Gerard you know I, I called a friend of mine and I said hey you know would you go see a movie if I told you to you gotta see The Skyline 11 yeah
0: um, I'll say this for Gerard um, while Almodovar hasn't done other horror movies and I mean this is Saying horror, I use that in quotes. It's, it just has some twisted elements in it. While he hasn't done many films of this type, you're opening yourself up to a lot of very, very well-made, very interesting films. When if you you know continue on to explore more of Amadovar's filmography, and uh, this this movie, The Skin I Live In, it's it's a beautiful film in terms of its look, which is interesting to say if you have seen the movie at this point, because there's so many twisted images going on here. There's so many. The, the turns that this film takes and the revelations that you have about who these characters are, it's, it's really something. And that said, I really, yeah, I really too really enjoyed this movie. And it's very, very interesting, very, <laughs> very <laughs> twisted is a word that's going to keep coming up in my mind for this one. And it's hard to, it's hard to keep saying that and just be vague about what's actually going on. But it's basically the, the way to say it is this is a mad scientist movie it's a very artfully done mad scientist movie, but that's kind of what this movie is. It's it's about a guy doing things based on his, his surgical prowess. And there's there's some messed up stuff that happens, but that said, (laughs) it's a, it's a, it's a very, the movie features a very strong performance by Banderas as the surgeon and his relationships with these other characters, with his, one of, one of his maids in the film, who's actually, who's also his, his mother, and um his uh his test subject as we find out more about this person it becomes incredibly intriguing and it's Mm. it's really interesting how the film divides itself up as it kind of starts off and you're the audience is only allowed to know as much as they kind of need to the film eventually kind of moves into another area of sorts as it kind of decides to reveal more about what's actually going on. It just becomes more and more interesting as it goes, and you're just kind of wrapped up with this story. and Can I jump in? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Go, Aaron, go,
5: um, One thing that I really, really love about Almodovar is, uh, and I would consider Almodovar, as I mentioned earlier, to be one of my favorite filmmakers. It just He's made so many films that I've just, just loved. One of the things that I really love about his work that I really respond to is the way that you empathize with his characters. Mm-hmm. Because he, he twists your head in knots. He takes people that, that you... If you knew who they were going in, you would not be able to empathize with them. You would not be able to understand where they're coming from. But by the end of the film, by the, the wonderful way that he works his, his characters he starts to kind of weave the story, by the time you get to the end of the film, you're feeling sympathy or empathy for characters that you, in a million years, you would never dream of it. I think of Talk to Her, for example. Um, you know, In Talk to Her, you, you, even though you recognize what this one character done to be completely wrong, you understand why he would think it would be okay. And in some ways, that's a very unsettling thing for a viewer, but I think it's a very positive thing from a human perspective. Just... To be able to empathize with someone else, well, not necessarily condoning their behavior, but just understanding what makes certain people tick. Talk to yeah. her is another fantastic film, by the way. I just yeah, that,
3: that one. To piggyback on that comment right there, uh, again, I would have to 100% strongly agree with that, which is to say that the story is you—you're mixed. There's a lot of mixed emotions going in, and you are kind of forced to pick sides. But then as the as the progression of the film and I guess as the story unfolds too in the book, it's really like you just become a little bit more maybe on one side than the other. And it is really twisted. Some of this stuff is really twisted and it's really well crafted though. Even even as the, the story goes, as as the book is written. And the book is called it was published as I guess My Gail and it's uh, there's like another translation for it, it's like Tarantula. And there's a lot of weird stuff in there um, that I'm sure is in the film as well. But it's just really, like, again, by the end of the film, I was kind of saddened by the course of events of some of these characters, uh, particularly just one character. But it's just well done, well crafted, terrific story. It's pretty short. You can probably find it
5: somewhere or online and just read it. And it's, it's a great story. I'd like to present the idea too that the, the film's ending, uh, which I will not relate here for obvious reasons, but I'd like to present the idea that the, the film's ending is perfect. And a perfect ending and dramatic narrative is not something that I come across very often, but I, after thinking about it, I mean, that's pretty perfect. I mean, just it, it ends on this sort of note of revelation and maybe even grace that is you just don't see very right often. I agree with that, especially because there's a place it could have ended maybe
0: before that would be very, it would, it would feel much more generic, I would say. Yeah. And it doesn't, it goes kind of a slight, there's a slight kind of addition to how things sort of play out. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed how, what the resolution of the story was and how it played out in the long run. Um, would you... I thought of this kind of after the fact, uh, but would you would you use Hitchcockian to describe it in, in ways? Oh, absolutely. I, mean, yeah, yeah.
5: I, w- I was thinking of I w- I'll get to it in the retro, but Vertigo came to mind, you know, quite a bit. Let's go there now. We re- can
0: relate to other films that we've seen. Vertigo.
5: Vertigo, you know, because it's it's the idea of um, idealization of someone who's not there anymore, um, and I won't obviously relate how it all connects but i think if you've seen vertigo and then you watch the skin i live in there are some very obvious parallels and like i mentioned too um it's very dickensian like i said there's a lot of a lot of ways that you know as the story begins you see all these different elements and then they're really woven together in a pretty wonderful way um in the way that dickens would do would do quite a bit the
0: movie i thought of and i i bring this up with no real humor in mind but the human centipede actually came to mind yeah, that's, because that's one i thought of here. it's If that movie is done doing things for exploitative reasons, this movie's doing it in the most artful way possible. In terms of just bringing in the uh, the idea of uh, someone, uh, basically the mad scientist thing once again. It's it's bringing it in in a very a very artful sort of way, a a way that has there's meaning behind the actions that are taken and the way everything is handled in this movie feels more much more mature. It feels earned. The characters are well represented, and the way things are depicted in this movie. They match up. They don't feel gratuitous in any way. They just, it yeah, feels just like a, a very well. This movie, it, this is a great looking movie. I need to emphasize that more too. And that comes a lot from when I see movies directed by European directors, especially. There's always a sense of color that I notice, and I love, I love, I love his, I love Almodovar's use of color in this movie and the way he presents the villa that Antonio Banderas' character lives in and the use of the color red, which comes in in many forms here. And
5: yeah, I just, yeah, I really, really enjoyed. I think too what you what you're what you're trying to get at is that it's twisted without resorting to just sheer shock value. Right. Whereas most filmmakers nowadays well not I shouldn't say most, but a lot of filmmakers nowadays that are trying to make if, if a lot of other filmmakers had made this story, they would have done it in a very exploitive, exploitative way and just tried to exploit the heck out of it and just try to shock the viewer. What what Almondovar does is tries to unsettle you and he tries to get under your skin. Uh-huh, no pun intended, and like Gerard, <laughs> like Gerard was saying, I mean the film really lingers with you. I mean it's it's still with you a while after you've seen it. and You can't say that for a lot of films.
1: I think Bandera should win an an Oscar. I don't know, or at least get nominated.
5: And and so what about um, uh, Elena and Anaya? Yes, the, she is. The
1: lead yes, she, she was great. And I didn't and, recognize her. And I have a lot of her stuff on Blu-ray. Just in general, a lot of other uh, European films that people may have not seen already like room in rome she did yeah. a spanish horror film called Yero, which means iron in spanish uh and and a couple others and i was like oh that's her didn't recognize her because you know I guess she had shorter and, hair in the film uh, mark hoban i believe the she's sing- actually in the film point blank which i believe you saw
5: oh yeah uh-huh it's the also the single most beautiful woman i've seen uh, at the movies all year
3: wow this is a really long podcast and to make up for it we're going to give you guys some music right here in the middle So enjoy it and we'll be back really soon.
0: on to let's let's hmm, let's move on. What do we should move on to? Let's move on to uh, like crazy about that.
6: Would you mind reading me something? What you want me to read? Something you wrote. Okay. I thought I understood it, but I didn't. Only the idea of it, of you and me. What are we going to do after
0: Think about it. Like Crazy is the story of two kids that fall in love. They're, <laughs> they're college students. One is Anton Yelchin playing, an American college student who wants to be a furniture designer. The other is... <clears throat> Felicity Jones is Anna, who is a, a a British transfer student who falls in love with uh, with uh, Anton Yelchin's Jacob, and she wants to be a writer. They spend lots of time together, and come time for graduation, it's time for Anna to move back home to back home to England. But uh, she decides to extend her stay and kind of violate her student visa. Uh, then, upon going home for some family obligations, coming back, she's soon deported and it makes the the relationship very difficult for the two of them to maintain as Hannah faces a lot of troubles in trying to get back over to America and Jacob can only spend so much time every now and then coming to England as he has his own business following his graduation um yep relationship drama ensues <laughs> Mark uh, Mark Johnson what did you think what did you think of like crazy
2: um yeah it was a little bit on the sappy end for me um i i, I get that it's a uh, first love young love kind of thing. There were a lot of questions I had just from the trailer going into the movie with why they couldn't be together. Uh, and I think they answered it pretty well from her side, but I'm still kind of left with questions on his end. Um, I liked Anton Yelchin in it a lot. I think he's, he's a nice young actor. I, I, Felicity's getting most of the praise for it and she was great too, but I think, uh, I think his performance is going a little bit under, underrated in it. Um, aside from their two performances, I never really bought into their love story. It kind of came off as selfish most of the time for me, to be honest. But I know it's going to be an unpopular uh, view, viewpoint on it. But I, I wasn't a big fan of it. I don't. I don't think it was bad. I just I was. I didn't really feel anything from it. And I think we were supposed to. I'm
0: kind of there with you. I think the. My my main issue that I had with uh, with like Crazy and it's a movie that I liked overall. And I think it was mainly due to because of the performances and the chemistry between the the two lead actors. But uh, my problem is that the plot hinges around a major kind of plot point that just doesn't add up for me. And it's the fact that Anna she's very she's a very she's a smart girl. She's a college graduate, and she, but she decides to extend her stay illegally in America and then go back home and then come back and she's like surprised by being deported and being held off and it's it seems like a decision where like she basically had to just go home for a couple months and then come be be able to come back again opposed to going through opposed to having this situation arise where it makes their relationship basically impossible and it seems like that's it's very much something that just it would, it feels very written a very just a big plot device to, to kind of set the movie off and i couldn't get behind that because i didn't agree with the character's choices especially given the respect that i'm supposed to have for these characters who i think are you know reasonably smart people and i wouldn't think that the idea of their love <laughs> would be strong enough to make them make incredibly incredibly stupid decisions that ruin their love in the long run of things but when i get past that I did like a lot of the movie. I, did, I think it did. I think it had a, an, an artful way of kind of going over the, the, the strengths of these girls, some kind, sometimes the weaknesses of these kind of romantic dramas and the way it plays of kind of editing and time and how it handles packing in all of the elements of this relationship into one film and so on. But yeah, I, over, overall, yeah, I, I, I kind of there with you and I do I did like Anton Yelchin a lot in this movie actually. I yeah. one thing that seemed very noticeable to me is that he's clearly not into this relationship as much as that as much as Anna is. That seemed very in mainly because if he really wanted to be with her he probably could pack up his things and move to England. And yeah. so I found he
2: even, Yeah, he even admits to that later in the in the film that he she asked him if he could and he kinda answers yes but just kinda leaves it out there without a real response why he's not.
0: Yeah, so uh, I, see, I see that this movie's getting, like, a lot of, like, a lot of praise, which yeah. seems surprising to me, because it's just, it, not or not too surprising, but more of the um, the kind of praise that it's getting, where it's, like, the romantic film of the ages and things like that, where I think it, it does a lot of things well, I just don't think it does a lot of things great, and I, I'd i be curious to hear from the people that really did respond to this movie a lot more than I did, so.
2: Right.
0: But uh, any any movies in mind you thought of when thinking of, like, crazy?
2: No, hmm. no, I, not I remember, no. Yeah, I just kind
0: of basically thought you know the kind of other romantic dramas that come out over the course things like Eternal Sunshine, things like the ones that are just you know pretty well regarded and well known by people. What yeah. about Five Hundred Days of Summer? Five Hundred Days of Summer—that's a good actually. I haven't yeah.
5: seen like crazy, but when I was watching the the trailer, I kind of there's a couple of films of recent years that I felt that were really honest about relationships, and I thought this might be like, something in that vein.
2: I guess another one you might compare it to is Once, but again, vastly superior to me. All the all the ones we're mentioning: Once, Eternal Sunshine, Five Hundred Days. I think they're all much better films than Like Crazy.
0: Once is an inter- interesting one to bring up, just because the, that and Like Crazy both rely on a. There's a simplicity involved in the story that's being told, but it, I think it's just Once is made better by the by the well, the the chemistry, what the story the story that is told, how interesting it ends up actually being, and the. I need the music obviously as <laughs> well. I'll get the songs for, Yeah, once is just beautiful.
5: It's, it's a, it's a little miracle of a film. It really is
0: oh, a little miracle of an Oscar winning film. All right. I think that's enough of like crazy. And I think that's going to be it for Mark Johnson on this call. Is that correct?
2: Uh, that's it uh, for me tonight. Uh, Thanks for having me. Emma. Yeah,
0: for sure. Uh, I'm sure to try and get you back at some point soon as well. But, uh, uh can you tell everyone where people can find more of your work? Yeah.
2: Uh, my site is awardcontenders.com. It's uh, mostly for movie reviews, but Oscar predictions as well. Uh, find it there.
0: Yeah, great. And uh, yeah, I am hoping that you know maybe we can have some kind of Oscar themed show in the near future. So uh, look forward to have you on again for something like that, and maybe even something just like a regular review show for a change. I think we've only had you on for the kind of these special episodes. So I'll
2: <laughs> yeah. be fine. Yeah.
4: Well, cool, Thanks Mark. A lot. Yeah.
0: Uh, glad to have you on and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you later see you Mark here you go bye Mark bye right, Mark alright so now we can all talk bad about Mark um... <laughs> man that guy is awesome <laughs> good one Abe <laughs> <laughs> alright let's move on to another film let's move on to Melancholia
6: to the bride in the room the March. you look I've seen you look so happy. I'm thrilled about this wedding, and I know it's costing John a lot of money. It's not about the cost. I thought you really wanted this. But I do. What star is that? The red one. I don't know. What's going on, Justine? It's a planet that has been hiding behind the so and now it passes by us. I just have one thing to say. Enjoy it while it lasts. I, myself, hate marriages. Gabby, please. Is everyone in your family start rating mad? I smile and I smile and I smile. You're lying to all of us. I'm not really happy. These could have been a lot different. Yes, Michael, that could have been. Just forget it. Stop dreaming, Justin. What are we excited about? Tomorrow night. That's right. I'm afraid of that stupid thing. And it is not going to hate us. You promise?
0: The new film from Lars von Trier starring Kirsten Dunst, Uh, Alexander Skarsgård, Charlotte Gainsbourg, and Keeper Sutherland. Basically, the film is presented in two parts, and it concerns two sisters, um, Kirsten Dunst's character and Charlotte Gainsbourg. And uh, the first part, Kirsten Dunst, is on her wedding day, and it concerns the wedding reception and the drama involved with that. And the second part of the film concerns a mysterious rogue planet that threatens to collide with the Earth. Um yeah yeah doesn't doesn't get more obscure than that kind of plot description. So uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's dive into this. Uh, Gerard, what did you think of Melancholia?
1: That was really cool. That was a cool little film cool little long long-ish film even though it wasn't that long It was like what two hours, two hours like flat Oh it was over two hours yeah. okay well
5: Like two
1: 217 I think 220 215 like, yeah, But once I got into it, I was like wow, I kind of didn't know what to end. Even though that's kind of like what the theme's about, you know, it's like the end of the world, pretty much, uh, I enjoyed it. I, I was for it. Uh watched it on, uh, well, didn't matter where I watched it, but I saw it middle of the week, and very cool little film. Good. Very cool little big film, because it's got a nice little budget going for it. Yeah, actually, yeah. Let's uh, go to Mark Hope?
4: Okay, so I think I'm going to be the minority rep- opinion on this film. I did not like it. Um, I thought that Lars von Trier as setting up the story as a dissection about the way people react under stressful conditions and the fact that it's an end of the world story was brilliant. And I thought that was a commendable method of personalizing sort of a major event. And it's nice that you're not seeing like panicked citizens running through the streets and newscasts detailing efforts to stave off the impending doom. So. It's a brilliant setup for characters to have sort of an intellectual discussion about like imminent calamity and their own mortality. But I feel like he wasted that setup. And what we're left with is we've got this character in the form of Kirsten Dunst, uh, who is this uh, woman suffering from severe depression. Uh, she's, on, she's just gotten married and she's attending her reception in the first half. And while I thought that her performance was sort of unlike anything I've ever seen her attempt, I thought that her portrayal was really a failure. Uh, I thought that the director really didn't attempt to explain why Justine was unhappy in any meaningful way. And that lack of detail made her really underdeveloped for me as a character. And her performance really wasn't even so much a person, but just sort of an emotion. And tolerating her miserable mood for me was an exercise in frustration and you know I, I thought her sort of she's very narcissistic and sort of disaffected I just found her very unpleasant I know that's not the I know the the reviews for this film have been largely positive but I you know I, I just I just didn't feel it and I, I think that the setup was brilliant I loved and I, I will say I, I, we can get into this later but I thought the first eight minutes and the last closing section of the film beautiful absolutely stunning but the middle you know the main part of the film it was like slogging through 130 you know minutes of just torture i i really and i just didn't want to spend another minute with these people so that's that's how i felt
5: melancholy for me was was a very tough film to kind of uh think about in that it's lars von trier he kind of makes films that I feel are like a punch to the balls. It's not like, it's not a punch to the gut. Like when you finish a Von Trier film, sometimes you feel so low. It's, it's not even funny. And I, I mean that as a sincere compliment. I mean, he, even though he puts you through the ringer he, he really does it for, I think really worthwhile purposes and just kind of has an emotional connection to his material that a lot of filmmakers nowadays, um, don't have. Um, I don't think the film is perfect. I would agree with some of what Mark is saying as far as Dunst. I don't think this is her finest, her finest hour. And I'm not a Dunst-hater. I know a lot there's a there's a large contingent of people that really hate Dunst. Um, I, I don't hate Dunst. I, I think she's a good actress. I, but I, I, don't, I don't hate her either.
4: I, I admire her what she attempted in this film because it's totally unlike anything she's ever done.
5: So I felt she was a little flat in some bit, in some places, in, where she needed to really kind of sell it. Um, the standout performance I think in this film is Charlotte Gainsbourg as Claire Um, and I really hope that at the end of the year she receives some serious consideration and not in a supporting category either, it's it's a lead performance Um, and I don't think it's a spoiler is it a spoiler guys do you think to kind of say what happens as far as the planet goes because it's kind of revealed very early on in the film I
0: can say that the beginning of the film has an 8 minute prologue that's Features a lot of imagery, including the image of a planet approaching Earth, and that planet eventually collides with the Earth.
5: Okay, well, well, having given that big description, well, we'll move on. Um, again, this is a tough film to talk about, but it's it's really fascinating in some regard because it really gets into this family history and how these women relate to one another. And I found there was almost a kind of a, a correlation between the two sisters when. When Justine is breaking down, Claire is really strong and, and kind of helps pull her through. And then later on, when Claire starts to break down and collapse, you know, Justine kind of right, is they, more they stable. Right, they switch roles, yeah. And they really switch in this kind of odd, oddly affecting way. Um, I think uh, also the, the young man Cameron Spur as Theo um, was a very strong child performance. And kind of putting him with uh, Hunter McCracken in the kid with, the, uh, not the kid with a bike, I'm sorry, the tree of life, um, and the young man from the kid with a bike, I mean, there have been some really strong child performances this year. And yeah, I mean, there there are some places where this film goes, particularly as Mark was pointing out at the very end of the film, you know, it's stunning. It, it's truly stunning. And I, again, I also really like the way that it's kind of a chamber drama, where you have these cosmic events taking place, or cosmic you know, possible events in taking place against a very small Dynamic of a very small group of people on a very confined space. So you know, all in all, it's not a perfect film. There are some things I think that it could have it could have done better, but I think it's a very strong film. And I'm filming. I'm very grateful that uh, Lars von Trier is making movies today. I wasn't. I wasn't prepared to to really
0: with Lars von Trier. I I have a like you said, Adam, it's like a punch to the nuts when you when you watch some of his movies because they can be incredibly depressing and the characters, you don't really want to, you don't want to spend time with some of these people. It's just there's a lot, it seems like there's a lot of just negative baggage coming in when you go into a Lars von Trier film and you just, uh, you, just you don't feel good when you, when you walk out of them <laughs> at all and you just want to shoot yourself. But um, <laughs> with that, I was not prepared for my reaction that I was going to have to Melancholia and that reaction was that I think it's one of the best films of the year. I was absolutely engaged all the way through melancholia, not just with the fantastic imagery that happens at the opening minutes and the, the affecting and effect fact, fantastic images that happen in the end of the film, but just the whole way, everything plays out in the middle, in the, in the, in the, the the portion that has these people that yes, are very unpleasant to be around at times, but just something about just, I was just completely just with it the whole time. And it took me when upon ending the movie and like thinking about it, considering like what my thoughts were, I just, I did, I was just really positive about the whole thing, which was surprising to me because I was not expecting to be at all. And I've still not quite put my finger on why I've responded so well to the film, but it's just, I just really, I really liked all the performances. I really like Kirsten Dunst in this movie and I am, I wouldn't say I'm a Dunst hater, but I, I haven't responded well to her. I don't like her as Mary Jane, but I don't like her. And I just don't, I don't tend to, I don't tend to think highly of her. And what was humorous to me is that the way that I imagine her to be in real life is kind of like an exaggerated of version in this film is kind of, this film's kind of an exaggerated version of what I think she is in real life, where she's kind of a bitch <laughs> a lot and just really upsetting to people and very standoffish and, but I I did like, that said I did like her in this movie a lot. I think I think she.
4: But so explain like to me because I don't understand why did you like her? Why I mean as a character.
0: Why did I like her as a as a, as a character? Like why did I like her performance in this movie? It's
4: the way she the way she
0: approaches different characters and how she continues to break down and break down throughout this film and then the way things shift in that second half. I found it to be very interesting and I really I I. Something within me just responded. It's it's a it's a weird kind of I don't know how to. It's the same kind of thing as why I laugh at certain things in comedies. It's just I don't know why necessarily. Right. just like, some, I just for some reason responded positively to how she right. was, what she was doing in this movie. Well, a person I li- also liked
4: was Kiefer Sutherland a lot, and yes. well yeah, that's the guy that I identified with because she here. shows up two hours late to her party, which is not exactly her fault, but she's two hours late. Then she leaves the festivities before the cake is even cut to take a bath. I mean, and then he's pounding on the door, you know, get down here. We're all here trying to celebrate your wedding here. I'm like totally with him. I, I You know, and I'm not going to go into what happens to his character, but I, and I don't condone what condone what he does, but <laughs> to me it was an understandable response, g- giving this repulsive group of people. And it, when you see the film... You'll understand. It's a family why. thing.
1: It's a family thing. <laughs> Definitely oh, is a family thing. Because, yeah. you know, that was a very colorful family. It wasn't just limited to her <laughs> or her sister, it's... but to her parents. Yeah. You could just, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree kind of thing.
5: Yeah, but. Even though they weren't focused True. on
1: But you can tell.
2: The loathing was there. Un... Yes. I've
5: gotta, I gotta say, though, Mark, as unpleasant as the family could be, and I didn't find them as unpleasant as you did. I would have to say, and I hope you agree with me, that they're not nearly as unpleasant as the family in Margot at the Wedding.
1: <laughs>
4: See, I, n- I never saw Margot at the Wedding, but consider I, I, yourself blessed. No, no, no. <laughs> I believe, but knowing like who made the movie and everything, I, 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 I'm probably with you on that. Yeah.
5: Kind of the but, moment where where Dunst kind of jumped the shark for me a little bit with this film because I wanted her to like her performance because I know she had great press i wanted to, to get behind i it. should point out that okay. kirsten dunce won the best actress award at the Cannes film festival for this film she has this moment where she's sitting with with her sister it's it's later in the film um and she references a sort of a this, this stupid bean contest that they'd had at the wedding where they were counting numbers of beans and she's trying to basically say that she's uh, Kind of the psychic, you know, she just knows things. And she said, "Well, I know how many beans are in the jar," and with that line, where she's supposed to, you know, be presenting herself as a sort of otherworldly figure, you know, it's supposed to be this pivotal moment, this moment where you look and you go, "Oh my God, this is this is oh this is getting serious." But that 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 delivery felt flat to me, and I was thinking about it later. And someone like uh, Isabelle Huppert or Juliette Binoche, I felt, would have really turned to the camera and and delivered that line in a very sort of chilling way that would have really made you feel something. And with Dunst, I just felt like it was kind of, it just kind of, it was an aside instead of this sort of breakthrough moment. And that was kind of the moment for me where I just really realized that Dunst wasn't uh, wasn't going to cut it. I have, another,
4: I have another important question. This is very, in, and maybe you guys can help me with this. but And I, I blame Lars von Trier, the director, not her. But why does Kirsten Dunst speak with an American accent despite yeah, the fact that the question, everyone too. else in her family is British.
3: Maybe she was, that's maybe she was like
4: army brat. Right, yeah. right. So you're going to have to, you're, you're having to write the script there because it doesn't make any, unless you guys can explain to me, was there a sentence or something that I missed as to really why well. she, why she sounds like an American and everyone else is British? She's adopted? And that's, and that's yeah, okay. Totally. okay, but that's never explained. That's you not know, her fault. That's Lars von Trier. And I, and knowing what I know about Lars von Trier, he probably couldn't even give a, Flying fig, whether you ex- understand that or not, he just does it. But it, it's you know, it's just these little things that, are like, what I don't.
5: You know, there there are some people. I mean, I have a friend who's uh, who's British, and if I didn't know she was British, I wouldn't know she was British. You know, there's just some people that when they live in a certain environment. I, I'm guessing she lives in New York or, or whatnot. Some people just when they live in a certain environment, they sort of adopt the speech patterns of where they're at. So Madonna. I don't know. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow. Julie.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but just very quickly, I found this film terribly frustrating to watch. Uh, the amount of it that you did watch. Let's be honest, exactly Abe. What? No, no, no. no, no. Just, like, be
4: honest about how much you saw.
5: Honest, Abe. No, no, I like where we're going with this. No, no, subject. but that's
3: exactly my point, though, is like I was just so terribly frustrated. <laughs> I just had to stop it, and, and I, maybe I missed out on all the great stuff, but essentially... I just found it, like, it, it was very difficult to go through. Even, like, the first eight minutes where we it was just all slow motion
4: stuff. And I didn't like the film, and that's the best. That's the, those no, no, no. Here, minutes, here's what I'll say best. about
3: it, too, is um, I, as much as it was artistic and whatnot, I really enjoyed uh, Tree of Life versus this. I was, like, I was really captivated by Tree of Life, and I was really captivated by it, even though it was just – uh, maybe uh, speeches here and there and a lot of shots of beautiful things. I was actually captivated by this by, by Tree of Life. Whereas in Melancholy, I was just really frustrated by the actors and actresses. I, I really like Skefer Sutherland and I want him to go Jack Bauer on some doors, but it just, uh, I maybe I'll have to give it a second go again. Maybe it was just the. the maybe maybe I'll have in. to finish it. That's what you meant to say.
2: Hey, yeah, but you- I mean, again,
3: again I, I was frustrated by it. How so much I did you watch it? How much of it did you see? 38
4: minutes. Oh. So you didn't see. It totally doesn't count. Did you see Kirsten Dunst leave the wedding and go out on the golf course and. Yes, and pee on the course. That, and then. And I was like, God, what the f is this? And
3: And, uh, and
4: then. She wasn't unpleasant. (laughs) She was an unpleasant person, is basically my point.
3: I was not that
4: into it as much as some would say.
0: It's funny you bring in Tree of Life because that's. that's I think that's a movie that begs obvious comparison. And.
4: I think we were all going to probably mention that.
0: Yeah, uh, and "Tree of Life," you know, that deals with kind of the origins of life and kind of the meaning in some ways. This is dealing with the end. And um, maybe I just respond to these darker themes more. But I, I, I enjoyed "Melancholia" more than I like "Tree of Life." And as much as I, I, did appreciate "Tree of Life" and found it to be beautifully well made and such and such, I was for some, I was just on board with "Melancholia" from the get go. I didn't. Ever, Throughout the movie, I never, I never felt frustrated with its pacing. I never, I never didn't want to keep seeing what these characters were doing, despite some of them being more. Impl- another, actually, another thing about it was I was surprised that there was humor in this movie. Uh, after the the, exactly it was very funny yeah there is there's some surprisingly funny performance in this movie mainly from like Udo Kier as the wedding planner who decides just (laughs) he's just not gonna look at Kirsten Dunst at all because she's disappointed for her not living up to being who she thought she was as they have this fancy wedding reception in Kiefer Sutherland's giant Swedish castle that he lives in and even after like the opening eight minutes there's this like there's this long segment of just them trying to get this limo negotiated around the corner river. Oh, I which i was just making me laugh i was just cracking i was like what this is so, it's just so like off-key humor that's suddenly happening after this like image of the world being destroyed by a by a planet that's come out of nowhere it's i was i was i was taken aback by the fact that there's it's not just doom and gloom what? but i was i was i was enjoying the the very human na- nature of a lot of, of a lot of the elements in this movie
4: I mean, the people at the wedding didn't – I mean, they were – I think the idea that the that there was a possibility that the world would end was already out there. But yet no one at the wedding was discussing it though, right? Well, so, you have
5: to realize too um, that throughout the film, Keeper Sutherland is presenting this idea that the scientists have all said that we're fine, we're fine. So I, I've got to think that the, old, the prevailing logic throughout the world was supposed to be that, oh, we're going to be fine. I, yeah, I <laughs> – That's
0: what I got. That's that's what I got too. And that there was this, you know, there's like a what would seem to be a conspiracy theory about the that Melancholia, which is the name of the planet, was actually going to, kind of spin around the Earth instead and just kind of hit it, opposed to you know completely fly by it, which is what Keith Sutherland, who is like a, he's a, nerd. He's a a nerd. He's a he's a he's he's (laughs) keen on astronomy. And he was incredibly excited about the- He's keen on astronomy and hooked on phonics yep. at the same time.
3: <laughs>
0: he was excited about the notion of seeing a planet fly by. And I, I but I did like how the sci fi was kind of pushed in the background of this film until it, you know, before it became like a big plot point later on as it does. And,
5: and I loved I loved the device that uh, little Theo makes to track the planet's progress because it was it That's was good, simple. Yeah. And yeah. instead of taking this scientific this, you know, scientific babbly, you know, very complicated explanation of stuff. You just had this little stick with some wire, and it was like, oh, it's, it's it's a great visual, and it makes a lot of sense, and you're right with it. I um,
0: also like John Hurt in this film. John Hurt comes in as Kirsten Dunst's. Basically, Kirsten Dunst and Charlotte Gainsburg have parents that are divorced. Very. not a happy divorce at all. Very, very bad divorce. And um, John Hurt and Charlotte Ramping are. Char... Sorry. John Hurt and Charlotte Rampling are her parents, and John Hurt's kind of he seems like he's playing up like this bachelor persona, which has both like moments of better, you know, somewhat comedic, but there's also this, there's this, there's this kind of heartbreaking aspect to it, as Justine can't seem to relate to him as, as much as she'd want to, which kind
1: of comes into play towards the end of the last act of the, the absentee father yeah, in the sense of, um, well, yeah, you see how he's behaving, you know, he's got like young women sitting with him, even though he's hmm. divorced, but you know, even for appearances sake, at the wedding reception, he's sitting away from uh, rambling, who's like the mother from hell, and uh, he's doing his thing, you know, messing with the waiter, with spoons, and he's (laughs) over here, you know, macking on the, on the, the same names, on the Bettys. He's got Bettys on, on both arms. Literally. You know, literally. (laughs) And then when, you know, the end of the reception, uh, hey dad, you know, just stay, you know, we'll make a room for you. Stay here for the night, whatever. Okay, yeah, sure. Then when it's time to go visit with the dad, ah, uh, who's there? A letter. I had to bounce. A, a letter addressed to Betty. You know? Something <laughs> else came up, so I had to, you know, roll out. And it's kind of like, ah, oh, I see. Alexander Skarsgård, who's known as the...
0: <laughs> praises the heartthrob of True Blood. Uh, he plays, like, a puppy dog in this movie. <laughs> like, he's just completely sad-faced for the majority of it. It's, 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 I felt oh, so he's bad. trying yeah.
4: hard to, like, make her happy. He's like, you know, let me... You know, he's showing her pictures of the house, and you know he's the character he's... I was
0: with, with in the first part of the movie.
4: Oh, he's he's like a, a sweetheart, but you know,
0: at
5: she the same just... time though, I gotta say, look, such a
1: beta needs... character though. Oof.
5: You you propose to this woman, you're supposed to know her better than just about anybody, and you didn't know how messed up she was.
4: <laughs> no, we you, yeah, you don't understand I mean, why all she he
5: says is so like. Messed. All he says is, you know, oh, I, I'm giving you this. I bought you this property so that you, you, I know you, I know you get kind of sad sometimes. It's like, dude, she doesn't get sad sometimes. She's mental. You know, she needs help. You know, I just, it surprised me that he would be. You know, so. he's,
1: yeah, he's, he's the one with the issues. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even though yeah. we know that she's got issues, he's the one with the issues because he's, you know, I don't know the enabler, I guess. I don't know. I don't know the terminology, but he's got his own, you know, set of you know, oh, I bought you this, I got you this, I got you, you know, like, smothering. I'm yeah. like, he's trying to, like, buy her affection by all of these things, and it's like, whoa, this guy's a chump. And I wanted to add on the bean count thing, even though I, in retrospect, well, at least watching it initially, seemed kind of trivial, but in retrospect, not necessarily that it's an important part of the film, the whole, hey, is she, you know, she hints that she knows things, but it's that, that first part of the film, you're focused on Dunce's character and how mental she is, and how the sister, uh, um how she doesn't give a shit about her. She's like, You're at your wedding reception. Look what we did. This costs a lot of money. You're embarrassing me. As Keith it, Sutherland it, says, You better be goddamn happy. Exactly. Unbelievable. <laughs> you know, he says unbelievable a lot. Um, <laughs> during that first half, it was all about them and, you know, perception, how you're making the sister look bad at your own wedding, you know, come on, shape up. But then and when it gets into that bean counter thing and I know things, um, Dunst is in control there. And because Gainsbourg is like not feeling her, um, how do you say, you're not listening to me kind of thing. You're not, um, I'm having issues now and you're not giving a crap about him. You when know what really I mean? Sc- it, it, it totally went like a 180. Like it, she turned the, the tables on her.
5: It really struck me that the only person who knew how to act at the end of the world was a crazy person. What, uh, yeah. Well, that's,
0: <laughs> that's a that, that, I, that comes play as
4: yeah. to. I was just going to say, I have some insight. You know, uh, Lars von Trier actually does suffer from depression. Yeah. Like, he, he actually suffers from it. And he actually created this film with the idea, he with discussing with his, his uh, therapist how people who often are severely depressed have kind of a in times of trouble where you know people are all losing their heads and, and things are falling apart, people who are severely depressed actually are usually the most sane. And so that was kind of his starting point for, for creating this film. So that's kind of like one of the things that he was kind of seeking to do is how Kirsten Dunst was sort of the one way in the first half of the film and then how she changes in the second half and then the way that that uh, relates to Charlotte Gainsbourg's character. This
0: kind of does factor into uh, my appreciation for Dunst in this role is she has to play... She starts, off, well, she starts off happy for one thing in the beginning of this movie mm-hmm. and slowly, slowly descends and descends and bad things happen. And then the way it kind of turns around, I just I I appreciated the, the wealth of different emotions and emotional states that she had to be. In. And then she's clearly I think she's clearly putting her all into this role, regardless of how much you appreciate her in it. I think she's I think she's do, she's doing a lot with this with what she has to work with here. I'm curious. Actually, I'm curious, Adam. What if you this isn't if you're not a Duns tater, but this isn't like the movie that you would say is her, her at her finest. What would what would you say is?
5: Ah, oh, well, oh, I would go with um, uh, Virgin Suicides or Marie Antoinette. Some of her collaborations with Sophia Coppola. I think she's great. Um, I, think she's, I think she's great in uh, in in. Well, she's really good in both of those. But look, I, I know you're gonna hate me, Aaron, but when I think of Kirsten Dunst and what I really like, I think of Mary Jane. When I think of Kirsten Dunst, yeah, I think of Mary Jane. It's just a matter of how. But I, I, like I her. really like her as Mary Jane. I'm, I'm, I'm with her all the way. Like Spider Man Two, particularly. So yeah, I've got to go with Mary Jane. But um, in addition, I really like her stuff with Sofia Coppola.
0: If I were able to separate my comic club Spider Man from the portrayal of Mary Jane, I, I might be, be able to appreciate her more. But I still just don't like
5: Dunst that much in that role. Well, I mean, come on. They, found a way to link Mary Jane with Michael Jordan by calling her MJ all the time. I mean, come on. What's not there? <laughs>
1: I, uh, Remember she was yeah. calling uh, pro salvation. Come on now. Pro oh, salvation.
0: Like, man. like, just call
5: me the greatest. That's all I want. Honestly, I go, I go <laughs> to interview with the
0: vampire. That's where I think of, that's my preferred dunce performance besides Melancholia.
4: Uh, I, I, my, uh, you're going to probably hate me. I actually think her best per- performance is bring yeah. it on. <laughs> it's her most lighthearted performance.
1: Really? And I've never seen any of those films The bring it on. Uh, I've seen the Spider-Man movies. Uh, Bring it on. What was the other one? Bring it On. Actually, uh,
4: Adam is right. The version Suicides is definitely something worth checking out.
1: Haven't seen uh, that either.
5: Really good film. It, Great song. And I
1: wasn't a fan of her. And I was telling Aaron initially, I'm like, oh, you know what? I hate Dunst. I mean, I could just, like he was saying that he almost had her peg, how she is in real life. And that's kind of how I have her pegged in real life. But then I was, you know... I guess I'm getting into Von Trier films more and more. You know, I watched Antichrist not too long ago, and I loved it. <laughs> the uh, family comedy of 2010. <laughs> you know what? A uh, Wholesome viewing for everybody. and um, The sequel to uh, The Passion of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so when I saw this coming out, and Aaron's, like, selling it to me, like, oh, it's, like, a 180 of *Tree Alive*. It's, like, *Tree Life, but the world ends. It's not the beginning of the world. It's the end of the world. And I'm, like, okay, cool. Awesome tagline. And I ended up loving the film, and I ended up loving Dunce's performance in the film. So it's funny how that worked out.
0: Well, with Charlotte Gainsbourg, just to kind of move on to her, I um, I really, I really appreciated her set, her sense of helplessness. I think was very clear in the, uh, in the last act. I liked how she went through actions that proved to be, and there was inevitable consequences to what was going to happen. But I really liked how she, how she played all this out, and it was very, it was, it was gripping. I was very
1: resistance is futile. Yeah, but I was really
0: (laughs) her and her. Wanting to wanting to protect her son from from the possibility of horrible things happening, it just the way the way she kind of emoted her fearfulness and how she was distraught. I mean, it was I, I really I I did like Charlotte Charlotte Gainsbourg a lot in this movie. I I I I like the cast of this movie quite a bit. I mean, I do I love this movie basically. I mean, I've said that. But.
1: Would you rank it in your top five at the end of the years? It's still too early, or your not top It's too 10? early. I, I I know where it's ranking right now, and it's very high. Nice. Mine's in the lower. I'd say it's in my top 10 for sure. I've Maybe at 10 right now, but it's in there.
5: I've got to see how the rest of the year plays
1: out, but uh, it, it, it might have a chance.
5: Yeah, we
0: still have New Year's Eve. Um, Alvin <laughs> <Al-Man laughs> and the Chipmunks. Uh, Sherlock, too. And, you know,
5: we haven't seen uh, Jack and Jill. Jack Zillia. and
0: Jill is still out there. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> if we get an early screening of Mirror, Mirror. Uh, <laughs> Um, Stellan Skarsgård's in this movie and, uh, he, he plays the Stellan Skarsgård character pretty well. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> <laughs> he does his job, but something to note, the, uh, the, the young, he has kind of a, like a trainee guy that's kind of following him around during the wedding. He is played by Brady Corbett, who's also one of the cult members in Martha, Marcy, May Marlene.
6: Hmm.
4: Uh, Mark, if you notice he was the keys.
6: Yeah, I did notice
4: know, that yeah. guy, uh, immediately when I saw him. But, uh,
0: okay, we mentioned Tree of Life. Any other movies that came to mind when watching Melancholia? I have one.
5: Yeah, I thought a lot of uh, of uh, Ingmar Bergman's work. Oh, totally. A, yeah. That's exactly
4: <laughs> where I was going to go.
5: Particularly Cries and Whispers and uh, Through a Glass Darkly. Just the ex- examination of uh, this very complicated family uh, family dynamic. Also persona. on a very small setting as far as a chamber drama. I would also oh, yeah. say
4: pers- Iğmar Bergman's persona was also kind of something that I kind of thought of.
5: That's a good one. Yeah, didn't think of that.
4: Uh, actually, uh, another one too is uh, the original version of Solaris, Andre uh, Tarkovsky's, uh, was kind of a, also another kind of an existentialist drama that I thought of when watching Melancholia. Yeah. Well, what one of the things I think that to me separates because I didn't care for this film. What's, and I do like Ingmar Bergman's work, what separates Ingmar Bergman from a director like Lars, Lars von Trier is their outlook. I think Bergman, he considers the non-believer that so desperately wants to believe, but, but Lars von Trier de- deals with the non-believer that has no desire to change, and so I find that less interesting.
5: And the fact that Bergman is basically God you know, doesn't hurt either. Well, now he does. <laughs> uh, that's that's a fair point, though, Mark. I hadn't I hadn't thought about it um, in that regard, and not only that too. But Bergman is just very very complex. In the in the the scripts that the, the man wrote were just you know brilliant in his way of, of looking at. Uh, I, Roger Eberts has mentioned something really great about Bergman uh, in relation to the Seventh Seal, but in a lot of Bergman's work, the idea that he's tr- for trying to get across is you know if God does exist, then why is he silent? And if God does not exist. Then what are we going to do? You know, and I think that really played out in a lot of his stuff. But, um, idea for a podcast. We should get into Bergman sometime, guys.
0: Well, you would have to see movies. And, uh, um, I, the next day after I watched Melancholia, I watched Another Earth. And that movie was, I also liked that movie quite a bit, too. And uh, I was surprised how, like, the, all these things just made my mind. Just got, it was just like this weird like existential sci-fi drama marathon I was having, apparently.
4: It's, actually, I forgot about that. Yeah, I, and I, I have seen that. That actually is very similar in terms of uh, uh, you know, the Earth coming and colliding with another planet. I liked Another Earth, actually. Or I liked it more than Melancholia.
5: Never saw it, but I, I heard good and mixed
0: things. I was once again surprised how much I liked them. Apparently, I just like movies that involve planets getting dangerously close to each other.
4: <laughs> uh, and i i mentioned this to you before aaron but also the transformers dark of the moon has to do with that theme as well <laughs> <I> on <don't know
5: laughs> a less, a less in- intellectual level so you, 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 we were talking right on Abe's level now is that what you're saying yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> get off my planet <laughs>
0: <laughs> never okay okay so i think we talked a lot about melancholia um any other movies you want to talk about
1: just watched that outrage movie, the Takeshi or Beat Takeshi movie, or Takeshi Katano. beats his gangster. Yeah, ya- yes, uh, yakuza gangster film. Very cool little film. You want to very say, bleak. You want to describe but... what it's
0: about a little bit?
1: No, not really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would say great. I'd recommend it. You see it. it. Um, it's on iTunes, and I think it opens that either that first or second week of December. So it was kind of cool to see it before then. So I probably won't go see it at the theater because I just saw it. But I mean, we yeah, saw gangster movie? Yeah, it looks pretty baller from the poster. Very uh, bloody, extremely bloody. So if you've got like a uh, adverse, uh, I don't know. I guess um, if you don't like seeing mutilations to like the face and head areas of the film. They they there's a lot of that going on. I don't know what. Is it not as stylized in the same way that the uh, Blind Samurai was? Not like, like that. Was, sorry. It's not... I love that movie. Uh, not as stylized. I'd say it's more gritty like Brother was. If oh, okay. Brother. Yeah, okay. Oh, man. Back to the old school of bullet wounds, uh, squibs, like the real, you know, gore. Because I know *Twitchy* had a uh, blind Swordsman* had a lot of CG blood. Very on purpose, too. Very... Yes. Yeah. This one's the end. It's the opposite of this. So. They figured after weird. Human Centipede 2 came out, they can pretty much just do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah,
5: that's about it. I was uh, lucky and able to see... Uh the kid with a bike at AFI a couple weeks ago, and, and I'm looking forward to uh, more people getting a chance to see that. That's the latest from uh, Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardenne's filmography. That was a Dardenne film? I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, Dardenne film. Um, and I, I love the Dardennes, and it, it takes their work in some new for them and in very interesting directions, and uh, it's got a great child performance. Um, again, so to add that to the... To, the docket for this year, and I'm looking forward to uh, hopefully talking about it with you guys at uh, some later time.
0: Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll get well. A, Do you want to talk about what it's about at all, maybe? Or?
5: Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, the Kid with the Bike is, uh, like I said, the latest from the Darden brothers. It involves um, a young boy named uh, Cyril, and he lives uh, at an orphanage in Belgium, and his dad kind of dropped him off and and left him there. And his dad told him it would only be for a month or so, but then time starts to drag on. Um, he's just sort of not accepting the fact that his dad's just kind of left him, and he ends up meeting um, and befriending this other woman, played by uh, Cécile de France, um, who was also in the movie Hereafter from last year. And she agrees to kind of take him for over the weekends and, and kind of be his foster mother. And it kind of details their relationship and... and uh, it's, it's just, it's a lovely film and I'm, I'm looking forward to more people getting a chance to, to
1: see it. Cool. Uh,
5: um, and it doesn't, it also doesn't hurt that the, uh, Daudens were actually making their first appearance in LA, uh, at my screening. So that didn't hurt either. Yeah,
0: doesn't sound like it did. <laughs>
5: um, Gerard, you want
0: to make a shout out about the, the doubles double, which I believe just arrived on Blu-ray?
1: Devil's double, Dominic Cooper, a uh, new film, uh, by Lee Tamahori. Um, we saw it at Comic-Con, uh, the White So Blue crew did, and blew me away. If it wasn't for Drive coming in there, uh, it'd be my favorite film of the year. Yeah, and the film, but, Dominic Cooper stars as a, did a, a dual role as a,
0: Saddam Hussein's son and the son's double. And uh, the drama ensues from there as to having that double try to deal with the wild natures of being the, the double for the excessive son of Saddam Hussein.
1: Yes. What Aaron said. I think it comes out on Blu-ray uh, Tuesday, right? I believe or... so, yeah. On uh, November 22nd, I think it officially comes out
0: for so last release. But yeah, that was a very strong performance from Dominic Cooper. And that was a film that, like, unfortunately didn't get... I
1: don't think it got as much play as it would have... As, as, as some would have liked it to have. <laughs> and I do think he should get uh, nominated for an Oscar. Just because the way he plays these roles... You know, excess. You know, one's passive, one's aggressive, and he plays them off. You know, beautifully. Just you know, one eighty departure for from, from both of them.
0: Yeah, it's a dual performance, much like I guess like Army Hammer in the social network last year, but it's a dual a dual lead performance from the same actor. And beyond the the magic of special effects, it was just a really good. He he was able to establish himself very well as two different characters. Yep.
4: Any other <laughs> any other
0: movies? What do you guys want to talk about? Margin Call at all?
4: It's you know it's it's a interesting film. Uh, it's definitely like if you're not exactly clear on how the financial crisis happened, it gives a little bit of an insight into that. It's a very sort of intellectual film. And uh, I did also think that the uh, point of view was kind of interesting. The script was very even handed um, in almost uh, engendering a certain amount of sympathy for these actual corporations, and especially at a time where I don't think people have too much sympathy for these corporations. Um, so that was kind of surprising. Um, so, you know, it, the script is a bit studious. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's very intellectual. In fact, the um, director, I forget the uh, connection, I think it's his um, father actually worked for a, a, an investment bank as well. So he has sort of an, uh, an, an insight into this world that the average uh, filmmaker wouldn't. Um, and I think that definitely informs the script. Um, and it also has an amazing cast. Could you, I, mean, yeah, Jeremy I was, was going to
0: ask if you could quickly name the, cap, the entire cast. Yeah, well, be in less than five seconds. So,
4: like, Kevin Spacey, Paul Bettany, Jeremy Irons, Zachary Quinto, uh, Stanley Tucci, uh, Demi Moore. Um, it's Demi also Moore. Got, yeah, it's also got Simon Baker and Penn Badgley in it, too. A little bit more newcomers. But actually, everybody in the film is, is excellent. And, uh, you know, I... I really like Jeremy Irons. It's it's nice to see him uh, in a film. Maybe he's been acting all along, but I haven't seen him in anything in a while. So it, it, I was happy to see him in a film, and uh, you know everybody definitely uh, does a, a really good job in this film. It's it's an ensemble piece. So
1: I'm like, now that's the margin call you were talking about. Now I know what you're talking about. Or like yeah, people have kept talking about margin that?
5: call, but I didn't know what it really was.
4: The title is terrible. It's it's so boring, and I mean the, the title makes it sound like you know just like nothing, so yeah and I, I don't think it made a whole lot of waves at the theater, but um, but yeah, it's it's well written and, uh, and definitely uh, worth checking out.
5: And speaking of the cast
3: wasn't uh, Abe in that movie too? I was, yeah, I was the banker <laughs> in the background
5: Banker number three, background banker
3: yeah. background Scared
5: banker, banker Little baby. number
1: five <laughs>
3: <laughs> I got paid $300 for that
1: Scared teller number eight, or something. You know. Okay, terrified
5: teller. TT number three.
1: <laughs> so, um, I think
5: we've
0: talked at length now about a, a wealth of different films here, with differing opinions throughout. But uh let's move on, I guess, <laughs> for brevity's sake, as short as this isn't, to uh, next week. And um, Abe, I believe you and I are going to talk about a movie we've been looking forward to for ages. It's the Muppets. Woo! Uh, yeah, Waka, Waka. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's out of breath. But, uh, the, uh the, yeah, The Muppets comes out next week, and that's the movie that's going to be our main discussion. And then there might be some discussion of Martin Scorsese's new 3D film, Hugo. But, uh, yeah, mainly The Muppets is what we're focusing on, and, uh, it's time to. It's time to light the lights. It's time to uh, predict the box office for, <laughs> for The Muppets next week, and, uh,. I have no idea how to set this up because I honestly have no idea how well the Muppets can do next weekend. Yeah, so. And it
3: opens early, right? It opens well it's it opens Thanksgiving Wednesday. next week, so
0: it opens on Wednesday. Yeah. But um uh, Let's, a let's take a let's take a crack at it. Why not? Let's try to predict what the Muppets will make next weekend. I'll even start. How about that, Abe? Sure, yeah, that sounds fantastic. I'll even start. I'm gonna say the Muppets can come in at first place. I think it will somehow supplant Twilight. Still gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say eighty. How about that? Gonna...
3: And that was my guess. Oh, too bad. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, I was over this week so I'm going to say uh, 79.9 million.
0: <laughs> that doesn't give you much to work with, Abe. I don't think you're being no, it doesn't, I don't think no. you're big as clever as you think you are, but What was your amount, Aaron?
5: I guessed 80. Can I, can I throw in again? Yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's your guess? If, if you thought that was high, Mark, I'm going with 100. Wow. This, it's it's going to kill. It's going to it's it's perfect. I
0: will say that nothing would make me happy more than just to see that just just like a just a just bags and bags of money being piled on the muppets door well, The Scrooge style. Yes. I'll say um, 75. 75, okay?
1: No, yeah, I'm going to be the real conservative one and say I'm going to say 12. What? <laughs> yeah. That's that's very conservative Gerard. <laughs> I grew up with the muppets and oh, I'm no. not a fan of the muppets. So it's kind of like how are these kids? the new generation doesn't care? They're going to go see Twilight again and even though their like, parents see... are going to take them to see the movie, man. No. Yeah. no. They're gonna be I made think
5: so. to care. I think did any of those, those
1: other Muppet movies make any money? I know there have been a couple like in the past ten years. Did those make any money? I, I don't think they did. now marketed actually they market it differently.
4: I mean what what did the Smurfs do? That's probably a better the Smurfs kind Smurfs is of... a
0: better example of yeah. yeah. Who cares about the Smurfs yet yeah, that movie well, that, made it's over? Horrible, I'm saying but... I'm no I'm saying who cares about the Smurfs? That, that, you know, people of our age, or, you know, kids now, you wouldn't think people cared about the Smurfs, and yet that movie made over, what, a half a billion dollars worldwide? So $12 million, right? Final, final guess.
1: Yeah, I'll stick with 12. I'll stick to my guns.
0: Okay, okay those are our guesses, and we'll, we'll see about that next week. And, uh, yeah, we're going to forego games this week, just because we've been running quite a while. That's basically going to do it this week for out now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work at my personal blog site, thecodaZek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews as well as YsoBlue.com for more reviews and Blu-ray reviews and whatnot. You can also find me at Twitter twitter.com slash Aaron's PS3, Abe. Uh,
3: you can find more of my work at walrusmoose.blaxbot.com. Two animals, walrus
1: and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Gerard You can find me on YSOBlue.com or on Twitter at YSOBlue and at g my last name, G Uribe. And at Weisselbloom on Twitter. Uh, Mark.
4: You can find more of my work at fastfilmreviews.wordpress.com. That's fastfilmreviews, all one word. And you can also find me on Twitter at uh, Mark underscore Hobin H-O-B-I-N.
5: Mr. Gentry. You can find my work at moviesmackdown.com, at everythingyoualwayswantedtoknow.blogspot.com, and at twitter.com slash
0: iltwinanarchist great okay you can find uh all of our episodes on itunes you can also find us on HHWLOD. all our shows are located there along with other great shows such as legion of dudes and the walking dead tv podcasts where they're a good gum they're a good bunch of guys and they talk about things such as comics and tv series genre stuff a lot lot of fun and uh, you can also find some episodes at outnow.podomatic.com where you have some of the most recent episodes and some bonus ones you can also email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com you can find us on our Facebook page facebook.com slash outnowpodcast you can like our page and I tend to update it quite a bit with you know the episodes and what have you and yeah that's going to do it for this episode which was a different sort of episode kind of special next week we'll get back to you know a more traditional episode with the Muppets and possibly Hugo but until then that's going to do it music for this episode will be provided by whatever I feel like putting in there and uh, yeah that's that's about it Uh, bye guys bye
5: bye See ya. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks.
6: The ghost of her, her floats over there and her smile, her smile, it seems so lonely. She gave me her hand as they struck up the bed. And she seems to sigh She seems to sigh You're the only And we dance like two snowflakes In the falling wind In the wind Well, do me a favor, God Won't you let Marlene come in? My friends in the bars, hell, they only see the scars, and they do not give a damn, they do not give a damn that I loved you. I don't know why, but once you've seen the sky, you think you know all birds are lovely. But there's snow on the ground. It would stop tonight. It's 22 years till since I saw the light. The world did explode in such a high-powered glow. To run, to run, to run was all they left me.